This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So do you remember this very annoying woman from uh, last summer, Nina Jankowitz? Somebody had the crazy idea to make her in charge of the Misinformation Bureau at the Department of Homeland Security. This person and her friends would be officially monitoring our communications, the Internet, looking for hate speech, i.e. stuff that she disagrees with or Joe Biden disagrees with. It was so nonsensical, uh, even some Democrats had to say, whoa, you're going too far. And it went away. Uh, it never actually happened. She left in a huff, never really got the job. But the whole thing may have been a distraction. They didn't need her. The Biden administration doesn't need her because they have the FBI. The Federal Bureau of Investigation is already doing all of that work. According to Elon Musk and Matt Taibbi, and I believe those guys. So, it looks like, based on the latest reporting from Matt Taibbi, who's been working with Elon Musk, that the FBI and Twitter colluded to, I don't know if we can quite say it was a coup, but we can say certainly that they were trying to influence strongly the 2020 election, get Joe Biden into the White House. And that's wrong, especially when it comes to the FBI. We know Strzok, Page, Comey, we know they hated Trump. We know it. And now we see more about how they acted on that hatred. It's pretty wild. It really is. So Matt Taibbi, again, Elon Musk first. Thank you again. Twitter, and I'll talk about the significance of Twitter. Even if you're not on Twitter, it's a big, big deal. Uh, Elon Musk now owns it. It's great. He's a free speech guy, and uh, he's a friend of ours. <laughs> I never met him, but he's a friend. So we like him. But it should not rely on this one guy, right? We used to have the Constitution to protect free speech. Now we have an eccentric billionaire. Great guy, but what if he changes his mind? Anyway, it's what we have right now. And he hired a guy named Matt Taibbi, who I think is a, he's a libertarian. He really marches to his own drummer. He, he did some pretty interesting reporting, avant-garde stuff for Rolling Stone. He's been around for a while. And now he's the man of the hour. Elon Musk basically turned over all the documents of Twitter, all the internal communications uh, before he became the boss of the company. He owns that stuff and he can share it with whomever he likes. And he shared it with Matt Taibbi. And Matt Taibbi is reporting to the world what he's learning about Twitter, the collusion we mentioned between them and the FBI to hurt Trump and to help Joe Biden. Now, Twitter, you may not think it's a big deal. It's probably the most significant political tool since the invention of the television. It's that big a deal, even if you're not on it. Barack Obama, 2008, 2012. A lot of folks think that he would not have become president without social media. It was a vital uh, tool. And uh, at the time, he was considered a genius at it.
President Obama was the, the ringleader when it came to social media and engaging those young voters. Well, he's still the king. Obama, during the presidential campaign, uh, used social media very, very well. They raised a lot of money online. He is our first social media president. He's connected with the supporters on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. And now he's on Instagram. Instagram, a lot of that stuff is vintage, but uh, Instagram, this new thing called Instagram, he was pretty good at it. Hillary stunk at it. Hillary, uh, the, the campaign, they never figured out social media, and I think it came from the top. She had a distaste for it, really. There's just so much meanness in the world, and there's so much one-upsmanship um, on social media. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's regrettable. But it's here to stay, and you got to kind of go with the flow. Sometimes, at least in politics, it's a very effective tool. And guess who mastered it? I mean, dominated it, uh, made Barack Obama look like he was in nursery school. Yeah, Donald Trump. He embraced it. He embraces the new. And they just can't stand that he was so good at it. Tweeting happens to be a modern-day form of communication. I mean, you can like it or not like it. I have, between Facebook and Twitter, I have almost 25 million people. It's a very effective way of communication. Yep. And he ran circles around the Democrats, and it helped him become president. Here he is being inaugurated in January of 2017. At that point, the left, they were already committed to impeaching him, doing whatever it took including messing with Twitter, which was pretty easy for them. Twitter, full of liberals. Uh, it's a tech company. Not many Republicans kind of know about that stuff or knew about that stuff at the time. So shadow banning. Shadow banning was a real thing, and it increased uh, as we got closer to the election. Shadow banning, reducing the president's and other supporters, their profile, their resonance on Twitter. Take a look at this. According to Matt Taibbi, published just a few moments ago, very well done. On speed, Trump was being visibility filtered as late as a week before the election. Here, senior execs did not appear to have a particular violation, but still worked fast to make sure a fairly anodyne, harmless Trump tweet could not be replied to, shared, or liked. If he said something <laughs> right down the middle, which he did occasionally, they would even reduce that. Again, Twitter may not be on your phone, but it is the most important political medium in the universe. Shadow banning. Not only Donald Trump, but thousands of his supporters, many conservatives, Dan Bongino, Charlie Kirk. We had that confirmed for us yesterday. And of course, Twitter lied to our face about that practice. I want to read a few quotes about Twitter's practices, and I just want you to tell me if they're true or not. Uh, social media is being rigged to censor conservatives. Is that true of Twitter? No. Twitter shadow banning prominent Republicans. It's bad. Is that true? No. Does Twitter censor the content of its users? Does it hide what it would consider inflammatory comments, whether they be social or political? Absolutely not. The president called you out for shadow banning. What is the truth around that idea? But the real question behind the question is, are we doing something according to political ideology or viewpoints? And we are not, period. We do not look at content with regards to political viewpoint or ideology. We look at behavior. Pretty comfortable at lying, isn't he? Uh, this is, I think, why we have antitrust laws. You can't have this much power in one 
immature individual just because he had a good idea when he was 17 years old. This power is too great for them, and yes, it must be taken away. Antitrust laws, I think that's why we have them. I could be wrong. I think we should look into it. Like I said last week, if Con Edison, Thomas Edison, if he turned out to be a jerk and didn't want to share electricity with anybody or only give it to those he agreed with politically, we'd take it from him. And this, this big tech stuff, it's too big for big tech. It's too important. Um, some of his employees, like this guy, I think his name is actually Yoel Roth, not former head, but he was the former head of trust and safety at Twitter. And in the months leading up to the election, he was having meetings with the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security. He <laughs> had to pitch himself. He was meeting with so many important people. Internal communications at Twitter He's laughing and joking about these very important meetings, uh, very boring business meeting that is definitely not about Trump. Right. They were checking in with him. Definitely not meeting with the FBI. I swear uh, we know about the FBI. Right. These guys did not like Donald Trump and they're meeting with Twitter. Why? We know why. Take a look at the next slide, please. During this time, executives were also clearly liaising with federal enforcement and intelligence agencies about moderation of election-related content. While we're still at the start of reviewing the Twitter files, we're finding out more about these interactions every day. The swamp was liaising with Twitter to stop Trump, to trip him up, to sabotage him at the game that he had mastered a thousand times better than their god, Barack Obama. So... The election happens and the FBI, <laughs> Johnny on the spot, they're flagging tweets left and right, calling up Twitter saying, we got a problem here. Look at this one. This is uh, uh, 24. Here, the FBI sends reports about a pair of tweets, the second of which involves a former Tippecanoe uh, County, Indiana counselor and Republican named John Basham claiming between 2% and 25% of ballots by mail are being rejected for errors. The FBI is getting involved in this. He can tweet whatever he wants, John Basham. And he's closer to the scene than the FBI is. The FBI is flagging this and more. Uh, this is what he saw. John Basham has a constitutional right to speak out about it. The FBI should stay the hell out of it, but they didn't. The FBI's second report concerned this tweet by uh, John Basham. The FBI was colluding with Twitter based on the reporting of Matt Taibbi to kill President Trump, to defeat him. And we have a major, major problem in this country. Could you call it a coup? Maybe not. I don't know legally if it meets that def definition, but we definitely have the swamp trying to influence the election against a sitting president. Uh, next tweet, please, if you don't mind. Uh, this is number 20. This post about the Hunter Biden laptop situation shows that Roth, not only met weekly with the FBI and DHS, but with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Now, what were they saying to Twitter during these meetings? Well, uh, we don't know exactly, but here's a hint. Mark Zuckerberg, he was having similar meetings with the FBI and others. And yeah, they told him about the Hunter Biden laptop. He tries to confuse us a little bit, skirt around the issue, but I think we know what's going on. The background here is the FBI, I think, basically came to us, uh, some, some folks on our team, and was like, hey, 
um, just so you know, like you should be on high alert. There was the, we we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of of um, uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. Just kind of thought, hey, look, if, if the FBI, which you know, I still view as a legitimate institution in this country, it's a like very professional law enforcement. They come to us and tell us that we need to be on guard about something Then I want to take that seriously. Did they specifically say you need to be on guard about that story? I, I, no, I, I don't remember if it was that specifically, but it was it basically fit the pattern. Uh, wow, that's uh, this is really wild. It's all coming together. Unfortunately, it's a Friday night. Matt Taibbi is putting this stuff out right now. The mainstream media is ignoring it completely, pretending, oh, there's nothing here. Everything is here. Everything. This is, I think you can make the case that this is worse than Watergate. Uh, next tweet, please. Tweet 41. Meanwhile, there are multiple instances uh, of involving pro-Biden tweets warning Trump may try to steal the election that got surfaced only to be approved by senior executives. This one, they decide, just expresses concern that uh, mail-in ballots might not make it in on time. Okay, next, please. Um, that's understandable. Even the hashtag steal our votes referencing a theory that a combo of Amy Coney Barrett and Trump will steal the election is approved by Twitter brass because it's understandable and a reference to a U.S. Supreme Court decision. They're seeing everything through their anti-Trump, pro-Biden prism lens. And so is the FBI. My goodness gracious. This once great law enforcement, was it ever great? I mean, it's still called the J. Edgar Hoover Building, for crying out loud. FBI, Friends of Biden Incorporated, Fraudulent Bureaucrats Incorporated, whatever you want to call it, this agency is finished in my book. Those hearings, whatever, we need it. We need it fast. This is a bad, bad thing. And quite frankly, only a few of us in America know the truth. And you're one of them. We'll be right back. Worst swap meet ever. Swap meet, remember those? Yeah, flea markets, they call them swap meets sometimes. That meeting on the tarmac in, where was it, UAE, trading a person who plays games all day long, shoots hoops in the morning, video games and movies at night, Brittany Griner, uh, with the death merchant, uh, Mr. Bout there. We obviously lost out big time. It's a bad, bad deal. Think about it. Look at these guys side by side. Uh, the world is laughing at us. That's for sure. A good portion of the government, even though they won't say it publicly, understands that we were just had Brittany Griner, a basketball player nobody ever heard of, by the way, uh, prior to this uh, this debacle. And uh, so she shoots hoops. And what does the merchant of death do? Well, he trades in death. He arms child soldiers in Africa. That's what he does. That's who he is. Children die because of Victor Bout, and they will die again. More will that he's back in circulation. It's going to happen, everybody. This isn't theoretical. I know it's not. This is real. This is real life. This guy's 55 years old. He's got at least 20 years left, 30 years left of uh, working uh, life left. Now, how Biden can actually claim with a straight face that this is some sort of a success story 
we know, even his team knows, that this is a horrible embarrassment and it should never have happened. Because there's actually a body of work in government about how to handle hostage situations. We've been dealing with them for a long time. Let's go back to relatively recent history. Jimmy Carter, the hostages in Iran. Sure, it ruined his presidency. We ultimately got them all back, but we didn't. We took it seriously, unlike this matter. Ronald Reagan, uh, hostages, he took these so seriously. It, it kept him up at night. But you couldn't willy-nilly make a trade. You had to be careful. You had to be deliberate. You had to make sure American prestige uh, and security was maintained during the Gulf War. President George H.W. Bush had to deal with about a half dozen POWs. Our guys shot down over uh, Iraq, handled very well, by the way, got the guys all back. Bill Clinton, remember Black Hawk Down? Do you remember Mike Durant? Uh, you can't, there's, an, there's a whole school of thought and body of knowledge behind these prisoner exchanges. You got people at the State Department who study this stuff for a living. They've got protocols, they've got procedures, they've got standards, they've got volumes of books and manuals and how to guide these things. And you don't make a trade like this. You don't. This is bad. And Joe Biden, though, again, with a straight face, this is when it feels like we live in the Soviet Union, when this disaster is presented as a good thing. I think for President Biden, this really, um, it's, it's a win for him. He made the decision, the tough decision that presidents have to do. This was a big win for Joe Biden. We have to focus and remember that um, President Biden did today what he needed to do to get Brittany home. I must congratulate uh, President Biden. He stayed on this. He said to me, Al, I'm not forgetting about your concern about Brittany Griner. We are on it. We're going to make it happen. And he did. I congratulate him. All right. Uh, you got to be tough as a president. You do. Uh, you can't always do the easy thing. Appease a bunch of liberals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want her home, too, but you don't sacrifice national security to do it. Um, Joe is not a tough guy. Sure, he yells and stuff like that, but he told the world when he became president. Remember when he walked around and all those silly hearts on the front lawn, healing and love and empathy? Yeah, the world knew right then that we had a pushover for a president. Oh, by the way, Brittany Griner was very irresponsible herself in all this. January 23rd. Uh, the State Department issued a pretty dire uh, warning. Do not travel to Russia due to ongoing tension along the border with Ukraine. The potential for harassment against U.S. citizens, the embassy's limited ability to assist U.S. citizens in Russia, and on and on and on. Do not go to Russia. Brittany lights up a joint and says, let's go. Jumps on that plane. And guess what happens? She gets nailed with that joint at the airport. Harassed, perhaps, deliberately targeted. Yeah. But it's February 17th. All right. Almost uh, a month after the warning was issued. Bad, bad call. All right. Show me what's next, please. Ah, uh, yes. Our Secretary of State, Tony Blinken. Now, he had a role in all of this, and I can tell you for sure that he did not drive a hard bargain. Anybody who talks like this is not a good negotiator. Earlier this morning, uh, I joined uh, President Biden, uh, Vice President Harris, and Sherelle Greiner uh, in the Oval Office. Sherelle spoke to her, her wife, Brittany, 
who is now on her way back home to the United States. Listening uh, to them connect for the first time since Brittany has been freed uh, was as moving as it was unforgettable. We will never relent until Paul, and for that matter, every other U.S. national held hostage or wrongfully detained abroad is free. He always has this tendency to ask or say everything as if it's a question, and he comes up like this, and he is a wimp. He's no, he's no Alexander Haig. He's no George Schultz. You need a strong guy in that job. Anyway, it all worked out for Joe because he was able to host a black woman in the Oval Office and touch her inappropriately as he gave her the good news. She's on the ground. Stop it. Yep, she's on the ground. Great day. It's, it's just such a good day. <laughs> oh my God. All right, a couple of things. That's um, Brittany Griner's wife. Did you see the move there? I don't blame uh, Mrs. Griner, but when she walks around the Oval Office desk, it kind of seems like it's her office, not Joe's, right? <laughs> and also, that prolonged, awkward hug, the touching. Joe is always. Who grabs somebody like that? That's, that's intense. This is, I, I mean, this is how husband and wife uh, carry on. Not, no, it's not good. And Joe, we've been warning you about this for a long time. Very unexpectedly and out of nowhere, I feel Joe Biden put his hands on my shoulders, get up very close to me from behind, lean in, smell my hair, and then plant a slow kiss on the top of my head. Yeah, you can't do that. And Joe's been doing it for decades. How many times, right? Now, look, I know we're a little off topic here, but I got to someone's got to do something. You got to stop him from doing this. Joe, you promised you said you learned your lesson. Remember? Social norms have begun to change. They've shifted. And the boundaries of protecting personal space have been reset. And I get it. I get it. I hear what they're saying. I understand it. And I'll be much more mindful. That's my responsibility. My responsibility, and I'll meet it. All right. No, he's still touching people and getting too close, and it's annoying. Uh, just getting way too touchy with people. Joe, it's bad. You know, I know uh, I'm on Newsmax, and you probably don't like me very much if you even know who I am. But, Joe, I'm actually looking out for you. I was the guy, the only one in the media landscape who told you to slow down. And I did it, I believe, in February of 2021. You were running everywhere. Yeah, you were running everywhere. And I told you, you got to slow down because you're going to fall. And you did. You did. You fell bad. I also told you to get off that silly bike of yours. Remember that? I said it was a problem, and it turned out to be a problem. All right, back to the issue. Oop, there he goes. Yikes. Bad. Uh, back to today. Joe Biden is getting all kinds of praise, and our guy, Donald Trump, is getting blamed for things he's not responsible for. The situation with um, Paul Whelan, it was complex, and we were not going to just cave because the Russians said so. Anyway, listen to what they're saying about Trump. For the, Paul Whelan's family sent out a very gracious statement yesterday, and I think there's a reason for that. The reason is that Joe Biden and the Biden administration, they're working like hell to secure his release. And sadly, Donald Trump, 
when he was president of the United States, allowed Paul Whelan to be arrested and did nothing about it. In fact, 2018 is when he was telling Jonathan Lemire that he trusted Vladimir Putin more than he trusted the men and women in our own intel community. All right. He's totally mischaracterizing everything. And Donald Trump was probably the best president when it came to uh, getting our people back. They didn't give him credit, though. Here's Donald Trump, I believe, at Andrews Air Force Base, welcoming back three Americans that you probably never heard of, but they were detained unlawfully in North Korea. President Trump brought them home. Now, when it comes to uh, these matters, though, <laughs> it's they'll never give him any credit. President Trump on hand to greet them, saying that Kim Jong-un was, quote, nice to let them go before the planned meeting between the two leaders. Was Kim nice to imprison them in the first place? Maybe you know, Donald Trump believes that this, this success in the foreign policy field might be enough you know, to distract attention away from the Robert Mueller investigation into Russia. The president sees it as a political opportunity in the midterms. Listen, Donald Trump's a former reality show producer. This was a staged production meant for television, meant for the cameras. So? It's amazing, isn't it? It's so amazing. Give me a moment. We'll be right back. Happy Friday. Well, we know this was a rotten, rotten trade. We got back the uh, women's basketball player that nobody had ever heard of just a few months ago. And the Russians got a killer. A guy who knows how to arm children with AK-47s and rocket-propelled grenades was doing it for decades and has the capacity to do it again for a long time to come. We'd like to bring in Fred Flights, senior fellow at the America First Policy Institute, a Newsmax contributor, and he's served in U.S. government national security positions for over 20 years, including the Trump White House. Uh, Fred, we haven't talked about this one. Do me a favor. What is your community, you know, the, the professional foreign policy guys, saying about this, uh, at least behind closed doors? Well, we're saying that the Biden administration is not telling the truth, and this is a bad deal. Look, I talked to John Bakken about this earlier, and I pointed out that the idea that the Biden administration is saying that only a deal to free Brittany Grimer uh, in exchange for boot, that that was the only deal because Paul Whelan is considered an intelligence officer by the Russians, that's clearly not true because Putin offered such a deal. Whelan uh, for, 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 the, for the Russian during the Trump administration. But I've also been arguing that, you know, in deals like this, usually uh, the U.S. or a Western country will have to offer uh, more of, of, of prisoners from the other nation to let them out. For example, the, the British recently was able to free five British citizens in exchange for 50 Ukrainians released. And I think a deal like this was possible. Well, today in the Wall Street Journal, it was reported the way that this agreement came down in an article by Vivian Solana and Luis uh, Rodofsky. They reported that, according to someone familiar with the agreement, the Russians wanted three or four prisons released to release both Americans. So this argument that only a one-on-one -on -one, uh, uh, release was possible, that there was no way to release Whelan, that's not true. What's going on here is that President Biden wanted his photo op to release a celebrity who would get him a lot of good press, someone supported by progressives and the news media, and they weren't that interested in releasing Whalen. 
Wow, that's uh, <laughs> we all. I knew there had to be more to it. By the way, I mean when Jimmy Carter, I guess it was Ronald Reagan who got those hostages. Actually, technically, but it wasn't. Uh, that was a very complex arrangement. These are complex arrangements. They take, uh, and there's a uh, Ronald Reagan when he got out General Dozier. I believe he was successful in that. These things take a long time. There's all kinds of doctrine and protocol uh, behind it, right? I mean, you professionals, you take pride in this kind of thing. You know, there's another element here. It turns out that the UAE and the Saudis, they negotiated that. Biden claimed his, his administration did that. He didn't even thank the UAE or the Saudis. They then put out a statement saying that they did it. Then the White House spokeswoman denied this and said it was all Russia and the United States. So we have snubbed the Saudis, an important ally, uh, once again, an ally we need for energy purposes, for security in the, in the Middle East, for no reason. Well, and the fake news is heaping praise on Joe Biden. And you mentioned the photo op. Uh, here they are just going nuts about it. I think for President Biden, this really um, it's it's a win for him. He made the decision, the tough decision that presidents have to do. This was a big win for Joe Biden. We have to focus and remember that um, President Biden did today what he needed to do to get Home. I must congratulate uh, President Biden. He stayed on this. He said to me, Al, I'm not forgetting about your concern about Brittany Griner. We are on it. We're going to make it happen. And he did. I congratulate him. Uh, all right. Let's face it. None of those people would have been excited if Paul Whelan came home. Paul Whelan does not admit, uh, check any of the boxes that are really cool right now. I mean, he's not black. He's not gay. He's not famous. Uh, you know, <laughs> He's a guy who served in the military, sham charges of espionage. Uh, this really was just so political, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, a deal that would have gotten both Americans out would have been more complicated. It would have maybe involved 10, maybe 15 uh, Russians to be traded. That's just the way things are. The, the British made a deal that was even more lopsided, but it got British citizens out. But what I think is that Biden wanted the photo op of Griner, and he didn't want to be distracted by having to release a lot of Russians or asking our allies to do so. And the problem here, Greg, is that Whalen's still in jail, and the price to release him is going to be enormous because we got rid of our ace card by, by letting Victor Boot go. I don't know what we're going to trade to get Whalen out now. You know, uh, the photo op that he actually did have with the uh, with the wife in the Oval Office, I think, was a damaging one. <laughs> they, you know, hugging and kissing. It was just so weird. Uh, we already know what weird. Joe Biden looks like. He doesn't need any more photo ops. Uh, he always messes them up. Well, this is terrible. I feel terrible for uh, Paul Whalen. And uh, we'll see. Fred Fleiss, we appreciate it. Uh, senior fellow at the America First Policy Institute. Check it out, please. AmericaFirstPolicy.com. And we'll be right back. Well, the FBI, I thought they were, I knew they were crooked a long time ago. J. Edgar Hoover, you know, all kinds of horrible things they did. But little has changed, apparently. Little has changed. And now I think we have conclusive proof that they, along with many other elements in the deep state, 
colluded with big tech to stop Donald Trump in the 2020 election. It is astounding to me. Craig Shirley, presidential historian, uh, his latest book, The Greatest Speeches of Donald J. Trump, 45th President of the United States uh, from Humanix, and also another great one, April 1945, The Hinge of History. Um, the FBI, you know what? I really did. I thought they cleaned up their act, uh, but they never did, did they, um, Craig? No, they haven't. Uh, you know, they started out as a very noble institution going after uh, gangsters and bootleggers and, anti and communist spies and things like that. But like like all institutions, Greg, like uh, the longshoreman philosopher Eric Hoff has once said that a, go a good cause descends to an Iraq, Iraq and eventually turns into corruption. And so so it is with the, uh, the FBI. The FBI is now a corrupt institution and there's really no reforming it. It really needs to be replaced, I, in my opinion. You know, uh, it's interesting. It's it, I don't know why we're so surprised. I mean, it's a federal agency. Right. A, we, we, we don't like bureaucracies generally. And this exactly. is a bureaucracy yes. with guns. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if it makes them inherently better. You always hear, well, men and women of law enforcement, men and women of law enforcement. We support men and women of law enforcement, but they work for us. Sure. And I don't feel like the FBI thinks they work for us. And somehow they're kind of no. off on their own and their power, they're powerful unto themselves. Yes, absolutely. Well, all we, case in point is the Trump on uh, Donald Trump's home by the FBI. Where did that come from? And what, you know, armed agents going after uh, Roger Stone's house at five o'clock in the morn morning, uh, you know, aided by uh, CNN broadcasters. Who, who tipped off CNN about that? Who, who gave the court order to uh, to turn over Roger Stone's house and imprison him? Who who gave the order to go after uh, Donald Trump's home and his possessions? You know, there's lots of there's a lot more questions right now about the FBI than there are answers. And now we find out they've been colluding with uh, with Twitter to to possibly turn the results of a presidential election. Th these are these are crimes worse than Watergate, much worse than Watergate, much worse than Watergate. I agree. Yes. And it's not it's not taking off the mainstream media. They are ignoring it. And unfortunately, you know, the, the, the conservative media, you can't count on all aspects of the conservative media, as you know. I think, Go ahead. No, I was going to say, but I think the mainstream media, I, would, I don't call it mainstream media anymore. I call it just the left wing media. They're not they're not mainstream. We're mainstream. <laughs> uh, they, they are they are part of the corruption. They are part and parcel of the corruption. They've got their their hands are dirty, too. So why would they cover something that, that would, would prove their guilt? Hey, do me a favor with the time we have left. You had a couple of very interesting run-ins with Joe Biden over the years. You've got a pretty unique perspective on the guy. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, uh, your encounter, one of them, and uh, what do you make of him today? Well, his, when he was in the Senate, his chief of staff was a good friend of mine, even though he's a liberal Democrat. And we did some business together after he left Biden's office. We did some business together. He unfortunately died, uh, and uh, Biden gave the eulogy. And I'd never heard such a eulogy in my life. He talked all about himself, as in Tim got me. Tim understood me. Tim took care of me. It was the most egocentric thing I'd ever heard in my life. Uh, the, the man is, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a sociopath. He he believe he utterly believes in stories about himself, and he believes in fables about himself. You know, you know, going back to his days in college, cheating on his high school, cheating on his exams in college. 
uh, lying about his graduation place in college, is that he is uh, not only is he uh, uh, a sociopath, he's also filled with uh, a great, great doubt about himself, too, which is why he has to lie constantly to try to bulk up his, uh, his how he feels about himself. You know who is... Uh, you know who Go ahead. I'm sorry. But Ronald Reagan, you're an expert on Ronald Reagan. He had multiple hostage situations that he had to contend with uh, in Lebanon, I believe, in Europe and Italy. And these affected him on a very personal level. He was moved far more than the public, I think, understood. Am I right about that, Craig? You're absolutely right, Greg. There was one where there was a uh, CIA officer who was a station chief, station chief in the Middle East, who was captured and, and tortured, and then the videotape of his torture was sent to Reagan, and Reagan viewed it, and he was visibly, visibly moved by it, which all led to, unfortunately, the uh, Iran Contra and uh, you know, uh, and, and and Oliver North concocting the uh, arms for a hostages deal. But you know, Reagan's better stories. Are about when the uh, when the Ayatollah had 66 American hostages in Iran, in Tehran, and they kept them there for 444 days under Jimmy Carter, but because they knew they could push Jimmy Carter around, he was a weakling. But the hostages were released only minutes after Reagan was sworn in because the Ayatollah was was scared to death that Reagan was going to send in uh, the Marines to uh, and storm Tehran to take back the, back the hostages. Yeah. And I found that out when I, when I interviewed Bruce Langdon, who was the uh, charge d'affaires in uh, Tehran at the American embassy. Uh -huh. He told me, he says, he told me the only reason the Ayatollah released the hostages was because they were afraid of Reagan. Wow. How about that? Right. And it was right to the minute, right to the minute. Uh, they didn't want to they didn't want to test Reagan at all. Thank you very much, Craig Shirley, to be continued and have a great weekend. We'll be right back. So uh, Meghan Markle is uh, all over the news and uh, we're all sick of it, right? I think this will be the last time she went totally too far and Harry did too. So their Netflix documentary just came out and it's pretty wild to me. Um, this woman, what an ego on her. Somehow the first time she meets the queen, she doesn't think she has to curtsy. It's customary. Margaret Thatcher curtsied before the queen but not Meghan Markle. She gets such a kick out of it. It's such a farce. But watch Harry when she tells this story. Americans will understand this. We have medieval times, dinner and tournament. It was like that. Like I curtsied as though I was like. <laughs> Pleasure to meet you, your majesty. Like, was that okay? See anything? Harry is not happy with her, right? He frowned, he scowled, he looked down. Uh, yeah, there she goes. And Harry is, uh-uh, he's not, he's not amused. Harry is so out of there. Look, there are kids involved, so I want them to stay married, but I don't think it's going to work, okay? The other thing is, um, she's really a racial justice warrior. Now you might think that's a good thing, but she says something peculiar here. This is all the way back in 2012. It's about being uh, biracial and the future of the world. Listen. My name is Meghan Markle and um, I'm here because I think it's a really important campaign to be a part of. 
For me, I think it hits a really personal note. I'm biracial. Most people can't tell what I'm mixed with, and so much of my life has felt like being a fly on the wall. But yeah, I hope that by the time I have children, that people are even more open-minded to how things are changing and that having a mixed world is what it's all about. I mean, certainly it's, it makes it a lot more beautiful and a lot more interesting. Having a mixed world is what it's all about. What you look like is what it's all about. She said that 10 years ago. Interesting. She was onto something. The woke left agrees with her. It's all about what you look like. And I guess if you're not mixed race, what, you're boring, you're uninteresting? Talk about a silly, shallow person. Anyway, I think it's uh, pretty much over for her. Uh, goodbye and good luck. And we'll be right back. Hey, have a great weekend, everybody, and uh, see you next week. From the app world, millions have downloaded the Newsmax app. It's one of the most popular apps on both iPhones and Android devices, plus it's free. So go to your app store now and you'll get easy access to Newsmax.com for top news. Plus, you can watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. And remember to sign up for app notifications so you never miss a breaking news alert from Newsmax. Download the free app now. Takes just seconds. Newsmax TV. Watch us anytime, anywhere. Who can you trust? A new study finds Americans don't trust big media. Millions are going to Newsmax as their trusted source. They go to Newsmax.com and watch Newsmax TV for the news they really need to know.